With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week we've got a very special guest, a second-time visitor to the program. His name is Scott Levine, and uh, of course he was on uh, an episode in the offseason where we discussed our top 30 rankings uh, for current NBA players, and on this episode we're going to revisit those rankings as well as kind of talk about what we've noticed here as we've hit the uh, the midway mark of the NBA season. Scott, of course, a fellow sports business classroom alum, and he's also a writer at The 94, and he recently did an article on the Milwaukee Bucks, particularly about DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown. But Scott, thank you so much for coming on again. Well, I had to because after, you know, the things that I wish I did differently when ranking the top 30 players, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So I'm glad I get a chance to redeem myself or at least make amends to that uh, initial list. Oh, you and me both. You know, that's the that's the hard part about making predictions is, you know, sports are very unpredictable. And uh, it's uh, it's fun to do, but at the same time, it makes you look like an idiot as well. <laughs> it, it definitely did. It made me feel like an idiot in some parts, at least. But uh, so so for this one, I um, I did a little bit of prep in terms of uh, now that we're at the halfway mark, I've re-updated my top 30. And as we're going to go through, you're going to uh, talk about what you think of my uh, updated version and also give your thoughts on, on some of the changes you would have made as well. Uh, but uh, starting off, you know, the, uh, the first player on both of our lists was LeBron James. And uh, for me, that has not changed, even though, uh, you know, he's he's currently suffering with the groin strain, but uh, he has been tremendous in the Lakers uniform. No objections there. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the Lakers are struggling a little bit without him on the floor. Is the fact that, you know, this is kind of his first muscle strain and the fact that he's been out a little while, is that is that concerning at all for you? I... <laughs> 
you know, you just uh, you you, have, you hold LeBron to a different standard with injuries. Um, just because he hasn't missed time for a major one, it seems like a pretty mild one. It seems like if they needed him to play, if this is a playoff game, he'd be potentially out there. So definitely no concern on this end. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievable in terms of his durability throughout his career. But you know, there there have been cases like with Chris Paul when he suffered his first kind of muscle strain that he that became a repetitive issue. But uh, the Lakers are certainly being very cautious and trying to prevent that from that from happening. But uh, moving on to to number two, I remember uh, when we did our original lists, we had a, a disagreement over this number two spot. You had one warrior named Kevin Durant, and I had another one named Steph Curry. And I'm sticking with Curry on my number two. And I will also stick with Curry in my updated number two. <laughs> now, this has less to do with uh, Steph being out and them not being as good, just because I think that was kind of overblown. You know, they didn't gear the offense around Kevin Durant in ways they could have because they didn't need to, because Steph was going to come back eventually and they were going to return to form. Now, the reason I have Steph number two is just because my philosophy on basketball has kind of evolved. When we did this in the offseason, I was really, you know, focused on that playoff run that Kevin Durant had and his ability to impact the game in every single facet, whether it's on defense, um, you know, pulling up from three. I, I just felt like when you're that size that you just can do things that someone like Steph can't. But, you know, being able to think about what impact Steph has on his team and just how he unlocks that team. Um, it just kind of, uh, I, I've kind of adjusted, I guess, my viewpoint on what I want from the, uh, a basketball player at the highest level, and now Steph's my number two. Yeah, he uh, he has been absolutely sensational, as has Durant, uh, you know, but, uh, but Curry putting up numbers that, are pretty close to his numbers when he won the unanimous MVP in 2015-16, and I certainly never thought that uh, that, that was going to happen again. But uh, but he has been absolutely phenomenal, shooting extremely well, uh, you know, over 11 attempts from three and shooting about 45%. It's just outrageous what he's capable of doing. But uh, moving on to, uh, to number three, uh, I originally had Kawhi Leonard on that list. You know, I, I went out on a limb and assumed that he was going to be pretty close to, to fully healthy, and that has seemed to be the case. I feel like his defense is is not quite as dominant as was his last healthy season in San Antonio, but he's still at an all-NBA defensive level, and uh, his offense is as good as ever. Yeah, I think right now uh, the three and four spot for me with him and Durant is pretty interchangeable. I really can't say with any faith who I would pick right now to finish out the season because, you know, Kawhi could just become a eight-arm nightmare on defense the way he was in previous playoff series and just take over for the Raptors. I think so far he's been about what we both expected when we had him at number three. Um, and no reason to move him that much further down, but no reason to have him like well above Durant right now in my opinion. Right, and, and in the last season he was healthy with San Antonio, I had him him even above Curry at the number two spot, so he isn't quite as good, I don't think, but but yes, he's right there with Durant, and, and you br- bringing up Durant is perfect because he is he was my original number four, and he is still there at that number four spot. He's having a spectacular season, and as you said, even with Curry out, the offense wasn't really, you know, has never been designed around Durant's skill set in Golden State. 
but uh, he was still able to put up some phenomenal numbers, including a 51-point performance against the Raptors that we were just talking about. Yeah, I would not move him lower than four. So to round out uh, the top five, I originally, uh, I've got a change in my original rankings. I had James Harden there at number five, and I have moved Giannis, uh, the Greek freak, up to number five. He originally was number eight on my list. And uh, mainly, you know, it comes down to the fact that he's he's rebounding at a much higher level. He's over 12 rebounds a game. Uh, he's assisting at over six assists per game. And, you know, he's he's been the, the best player on the team with the best point differential in the entire league. All right, so I'll just take over for a second because I feel like I really need to defend myself right now for having Giannis at 10 because this was the thing that probably stuck out the most to me to my preseason board. And the idea behind it was I just didn't know how uh, what you could do with him in the playoffs uh, on that team. I didn't know that Brooke Lopez was going to be you know a three-point gunner on this team. Um, I was wondering what is can, can he field like an optimal like league elite offense? Um, and in the regular season, he definitely can. Uh, but I was a little bit concerned that teams would be able to scheme for his lack of jump shot. But right now. Um, He's definitely number six for me, uh, behind who I assume is your number six. So, no complaints there at number five. You know, he has been shooting the most inside the arc. He's been making like six, like seventy-five percent of his shots in there, um, and it's been ridiculous. Yeah, you know, um, I assume when you say you're number five and my number six, you're referring to James Harden. Yes. And uh, um, the the reason I have pushed Giannis uh, above Harden is because, you know, you talk about the concerns you have about Giannis in the postseason, and I share those concerns. But at the same time, we've already known that, that James Harden has those same issues come playoff time where he has really struggled, especially last playoffs. Uh, so, you know, the fact that Giannis has gotten to the point where I think he's close to James Harden's level during the regular season and, you know, despite the fact that Giannis struggles with the jump shot and teams can kind of uh, focus on that, I still think Giannis has been has been more effective in the playoffs as far as coming close to what his typical numbers are than Harden has. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the difference is that, in theory, Harden's a, a much better playoff uh, player just because we've seen kind of that off-the-dribble creation, that pick-and-roll game really translate to the playoffs, whether it's the Warriors or, you know, uh, even like the 2016 Cavaliers. You know, they had Kyrie who could make those plays off the dribble uh, and create for for the team in a pinch. But um, you're right that in practice it's been kind of similar and that neither has looked like their best selves in the playoffs. Well, yeah, and, you know, the the argument against... Giannis, which I brought up in, in last week's episode when I was talking with Stuart Zahn about the Milwaukee Bucks, was, you know, his, his rebounding numbers can, I think, in large part be attributed to the fact that Brooke Lopez is his starting center, and Lopez has historically been a, a poor rebounder, not in terms of, you know, he, he's a good box-out guy like his brother Robin, but he's never gotten a, a ton of rebounds in terms of filling up the box sheet. So Giannis, I think, has benefited from that. And also the assist numbers going up, you could you could attribute to the fact that Mike Budenholzer has put more floor spacing uh, for Giannis, so it's, it's easier to make those plays. Yeah, and one thing that I want to ask you is, regarding Giannis in the playoffs, we all agree that he'll be better um, than he was last season because his coach is a lot better and because he's gotten a lot better. 
and because his team's gotten a lot better. That being said, a big part of his their kind of revitalization has been Brook Lopez's shooting, and I don't think Brook Lopez can play much past like round two. So it'll be. What, how do you see that shaking out if they can't play Brook Lopez, but they still need to run every or most things through Giannis? Yeah, I mean, I, I brought the same question up to Stewart last week, and and basically my. My response to that would be that, you know, we've, we've seen Thon Maker step up big time in the postseason the last couple of years after being uh, basically unplayable during the regular season. And, and Maker's been better uh, this regular season than he has been in years past, and I think he's the solution in the event that Brook Lopez gets run off the floor because of his defensive limitations. I think Thon Maker is the guy that can still be the center that spaces the floor, and he's been given... Uh, you know, even more rain to take those three-point shots and and do it without any fear from Mike Budenholzer than he did with Jason Kidd. And you kind of have DJ Wilson to hedge that thought maker bet a little bit. You know, he's been giving them decent minutes, been shooting well from three. Ultimately, what I think happens this year is we just see Giannis at the five a lot. Yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. And, and you know, Ilyasova, another guy that they brought in that could play a little bit of five if they need to. Uh, so, so they they have some options uh, in the event that uh, that Brook Lopez uh, gets run off the floor, but uh, but certainly he's been been a key piece, a key reason why they've been so good on both ends. You know, just having a guy on defense that is that big makes things difficult for teams around the basket, and they would certainly miss that with him on the bench. But uh, as as you mentioned, my number six is uh, is James Harden, and, and was your number six Giannis? Yes. Okay, so so moving on to uh, to number seven, then uh, I've got the same player that I had originally. It was Anthony Davis, and uh, he's in the same spot. How about you? Yep. So so Davis, you know, he's he's putting up absolutely phenomenal numbers like usual. The the net rating is 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 fantastic when he's been on the floor. Uh, you know, the the Pelicans have been struggling this season, uh, but but it's in large part because of the injuries. I think if the Pelicans ever get healthy. I think uh, things are going to turn around for them, but uh, it would certainly be disappointing to see uh, see a guy as talented as Anthony Davis miss the playoffs. Right, and luckily when he um, gets it to his new team, we won't see that much anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, of course, for anyone listening, uh, Scott is a, a Celtics fan, so he's definitely hoping for, for a certain trade to happen. Uh, but uh, uh, moving on to uh, to number eight, I, uh, I originally had Giannis in that spot, and now I've got another guy that jumped quite a few spots, and that is Paul George. Yeah, and this is another one that I really swift on. Um, you know, remember, he was coming off that really disappointed playoff, playoff series, and brace yourselves, I had him number 20. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I remember. <laughs> yep, yep. You're, how could you forget? Uh, and when you look at, like, when you look at, you know, the guys ahead of him, it's not like he's, like, you know, blown any of them out of the water. He's just a little bit better than all of them, and that's what it kind of comes down to, that, you know, 8 through 20 in the NBA is, you know, you're, you're, to a degree you're splitting hair sometimes, but I, I have no problem with Paul George being 8 now. The um, one thing that I think uh, is going to be interesting is when you look at his shot profile and, um, you know, what kind of shots he's been taking, his passing, it's... You know, it's a little better than last season, but it's kind of the same, and it's kind of a lot of his shots are just going in more, and he's taking more of them. And part of that is Westbrook just giving him the keys a little bit, and I think I definitely sold short how much Westbrook might have made him seem not that great last year. 
Yeah. Um, and now that we've seen him in his, in his element and, and what we've seen him in Indiana, it's looked really good. We've seen his you know accuracy wax and wane a little bit over the course of the regular season, but I hope that um, in this season you know he continues to produce at this rate. Well, yeah, you know, you mentioned you had him twenty, and and he jumped quite a bit for you, and you know, I I still I only had him at twelve, you know, so he he made quite a leap for me as well. I wasn't expecting him to be this good this season. You know, he's he's got a career high in in points per game, steals per game, rebounds per game, uh, you know, three pointers made, three pointers attempted. And uh, I think I think one thing also that's really helped him this year is he's got the lowest turnover percentage of his career. So you know you you mentioned in in that first podcast that we did, you know he he's not a great playmaker, and I certainly agree with that. You know he, he's he's not the best passer in the world. But one thing that can sort of mitigate that weakness is turning the ball over less, and he's certainly done that. And we managed to go this far without talking about his defense, which um, <laughs> yes. I, I generally believe that regular season it's hard to you know it's the center's kind of like you know in football how the quarterback just has an inherent advantage in the mvp sometimes i feel like the center has that with defensive player of the year since so many regular season defensive schemes are kind of designed to funnel shots to a rim protector and that rim protector then looks really important that's kind of what's happened with uh, the thunder and steven adams um but paul george is just as big of a reason why they're defending so well yeah, and you know, I, I fully believe that he has uh, he has taken the reins from Westbrook as that team's clear best player. But uh, and and I'll talk about Westbrook here later on down this list. But oh, um, <laughs> moving on to uh, to number nine, uh, this was uh, this was this one that I had was surprising to you and probably surprising to a lot of people. Uh, I had Victor Oladipo, and uh, a, a big part of the reason I had him at nine was, you know, a lot of people were kind of down in terms of thinking he, you know, had his career year last season and that he was going to get worse. Uh, and, you know, I looked at his age and the fact that he was in a situation where he was the go-to guy and thought, you know, why isn't it possible that he could potentially be better this season? And and I was wrong about that. I've got Oladipo lower on the list. He hasn't had uh, quite as good of a season. But, uh, you know, the, the guy that I do have at number nine now is Joel Embiid. And uh, he has moved up five spots. I had him at 14. He's all the way up into the top ten now. And And the biggest reason for this, not only has the offense been really impressive, he's one of the top five guys in the league in scoring, but his durability, you know, the a couple of years ago, of course, he, he missed his first couple of seasons uh, due to uh, to knee and back issues. But now he's played in 41 of the 44 games that the Sixers have played. But uh, he's also played a career high 33.7 minutes per game. So just the fact that he's been out on the floor more consistently has has uh, helped him skyrocket up this list. Yeah, I mean. It's hard. It, it kind of gets lost because the Sixers just seem like you know a soap opera of like just <laughs> yes. the uh, r- reported Jimmy Butler uh, lack of you know um, appreciation of his role. You know Embiid not wanting to shoot as many threes, and like he's been great. I, I, I do think that that's definitely true, and it's definitely fair to have him at nine, or you could argue even higher, just in terms of what we've seen so far. Obviously, the uh, playoff concerns still uh, lie there. I think he'll look a lot better on the perimeter than he did last season. If you remember, he kind of just got healthy right before uh, the playoffs and maybe wasn't in the best shape possible. 
And so you could really tell that he wasn't, you know, ready to defend those Al Horford threes uh, that, that kind of killed them at the end of some Celtics games. And I think he'll be a little bit better in that regard. I still have concerns about, like, what if you'll embrace, um, you know, being a, the versatile player that he is. You know, he said that he didn't like taking threes. He's still taking them, though. So I don't know how to dock him for that. Yeah, he... Um... You know, there there was a lot of like you would you would see this where he would he would catch the ball at the top of the arc and and last year you know it would seem like you'd always just fire away. You could tell that this year he he started to uh, to to shot fake more and put it on the floor and and pass up those shots. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, I, I was looking at the numbers and and he's attempting more threes this year than he did last year. And so it's uh, it, it's a little bit one of those things where the eye test doesn't quite uh, explain what's going on. But yeah, he's. He's been phenomenal, but you're right. He's certainly, uh, you know, at his size, it, it is tough for him to uh, to in the playoffs against teams where they've got a guy like Al Horford that can can not only shoot the three but put the ball on the floor. That puts a lot of pressure on him. At ten, I originally had Russell Westbrook, and he is lower on my list. the The current number ten, my updated number ten, was the guy that jumped the highest of anyone uh, on the list since we did this last, and that is Nikola Jokic. I think this is a great choice. I had him number 22 last time, and this is another one I feel weird about having him so low. Um, I had him 20. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how Denver keeps winning games other than through uh, just Jokic. Um, obviously, a couple like guys like Juancho and Monte Morris have stepped up for them, um, and it just seems like they have a lineup full of guys they can rely on no matter who gets hurt. So Jokic, you know, being able to get the most out of his teammates, whether it's finding them uh, for open shots, giving them willingness to cut because they know they'll be rewarded. And then he's just like kind of, up, you know, his uh, post-up game has reached another level this year. You, you know, like you're having teams that like are trying to not double him because they know how good of a passer he is and he's killing him that way But by just getting one-on-one post-ups. Still haven't like, you know, so totally seen the full evolution, I think, with the three-point shot still kind of coming and going. But once that gets there, you can argue that he could be, like, in terms of offensive impact, the best regular season player. And, you know, the the biggest thing I was expecting this year was I was expecting another huge offensive leap, and I think he's taken more of a mini one on the, on the offensive end, but I think the biggest upgrade for him has been the defense. I think he's uh, his positioning is 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 not quite at like peak Mark Gasol level, but uh, he's getting there. You know, Mark Gasol was a defensive player of the year despite not having uh, you know great defensive tools in terms of the lateral quickness and, and jumping ability. And and Jokic has some of those similar limitations, but he's gotten a lot better in terms of using his hands and being in the right spots and and understanding what the opponents are are trying to do. And you know the the you know we talked about in in the original episode about that Paul Millsap we thought he was kind of the key to Denver being a good defense and you know he missed a, a decent chunk of time and Denver kept chugging along with a solid defensive rating and you know Jokic has been one of the only constants for this team. Yeah, and in terms of I should I should also mention that like his defense has been good. Uh, what gives me pause and I've like talked about this to a lot of people on the internet is just like what is what does he look like in the playoffs you know I almost think he's benefited from not having been in a playoff series yet just because we don't have that visual of uh you know Steph Curry getting switched on to him and just like you know draining 
uh, jumper over him with ease. I think that he has a chance, at least like you know, basketball IQ wise, to uh, kind of um, avoid some of those switches. You know, like he can rotate away from the ball, and there's a lot of ways to kind of scheme around that. Maybe the Warriors aren't as potent at making those guys pay as they used to be. So obviously, still a lot of questions, but you'd think that just with his lack of foot speed, that there are some concerns there. Oh, certainly, and yeah, it'll it'll be fascinating to see. It seems like Denver is uh, is is pretty much a, a lock to to make the playoffs this year. So it will be really fun to see him and that team get a chance. But uh, as far as the regular season goes, the you know the the Nuggets have a one hundred four point six defensive rating with him on the floor and uh, nearly a fifteen net rating with Jokic out there. So he has been absolutely phenomenal, and that's why he's jumped from twenty to ten on my list. Moving on to uh, to number 11, originally I had Jimmy Butler. Uh, he has dropped down a little bit, not because of his actual play, but because of the stuff you mentioned earlier with his off-court antics. And the current guy that I have up to number 11, despite the Celtics' struggle, I have Kyrie going up to 11. And a big reason for that is, you know, uh, the, the Celtics have struggled mightily on offense this year but not with Kyrie on the floor. With Kyrie, the Celtics have a 117.6 offensive rating. I had him at 8, and I actually feel pretty good about that, honestly. Like, you can argue maybe it's a little high, but I think after the top 7, that is, you know, the guys we mentioned in the top 7, LeBron to AD. Right. That top 8 spot is kind of wide open. You know, you can go Kyrie, you can go Jokic, Embiid, um, Paul George, like, any of them have a case for that and for me it always comes back to just the immense value of just Kyrie's archetype and that's why I have him at eight that's probably the only reason Paul George you can also have a case at eight that's probably the best um you know case against Kyrie at eight which is makes sense because you had him there um so that's another whole conversation that kind of gets into what do you value more just like that wing defender playmaker shooter like George or just like that you know alpha creator type like Kyrie, but I digress. Um, Kyrie's been good this season. Yeah, we didn't do the format in tiers, but that is an interesting thing you bring up. Like, if I if I had to just think off the off the cuff, I would have LeBron in a tier of his own, and then Curry, Kawhi, Durant, two through four in a second tier. Yeah. The third tier would be Giannis, Harden, and Davis, and then, as you mentioned, the, there is a significant drop-off after Davis into that fourth tier, where, yes, a bunch of guys, I think, are, are right in that range. But yes, Kyrie, I think, is deservedly in anywhere uh, within that Tier 4, I think, uh, is fair for him. Moving on to uh, to number 12, of course, I originally, uh, as I mentioned, had Paul George. Uh, now I have Victor Oladipo in that spot, so I moved him from down from 9 to 12. Still maybe a little bit high for a lot of people, but, uh, you know, being the best player on the on the team that's third in the East, and, uh, you know, he still has... Uh, has had a, a lot of responsibility on both ends of the floor. He's one of the best two-way players in the league, and, and unlike Jimmy Butler, uh, he hasn't had a lot of drama surrounding him. Yeah, and I think his biggest advantage over Butler is just his versatility because we've heard Butler on the record saying he wants to be more of like you know an ISO pick-and-roll guy. Uh, Victor Oladipo, he does do that a lot, but he's also willing to you know play off ball. He's a better shooter than Butler. He, he's better moving off ball, so he has that dimension to him. And I don't think it's I don't think it's too high to have him at twelve. Um, I, I think it's arguable that he could be um, with continued improved play 
in that, you know, discussion for the eighth spot as the eighth best player in the league. This is something I've kind of gone back and forth about for a while. I think you can make an argument that other than Giannis, who seems like far and away the guy who you'd want to build around, you could argue there's no one you'd rather build around than Victor Oladipo. Even Anthony Davis? It's close. Um, I would probably take AD, actually, now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, so, so there are some obvious ones. Maybe Zion will get to that level. Uh, Luka Doncic looks well on his way. Um, but the thing about Oladipo, the reason he's like, I even felt okay mentioning him only below those guys is when you have a guy, when you have like a guy with almost wing size, you know, like he's a, he's a solid two guard who can, you feel comfortable as like the initiator of the offense of a pretty good offense and, you know, the main perimeter defender that frees up so many paths to upgrading your roster. So for example, Let's stick with the Pacers. They drafted Aaron Holiday. I liked the idea of Aaron Holiday in some aspects, but I didn't think he could be, you know, a true point guard. He had he could shoot. He could kind of defend a little bit. He was a solid handler, but he brought more of a secondary ball handler. He could probably be. I think he'll be the starter for the Pacers in a few years, and it's because when you have a guy like Oladipo, it allows you to incubate guys like you know Aaron Holiday, who might. Be, have have a missing tool that would prevent him from being a starting point guard otherwise. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Oladipo's versatility and being able to play off the ball or on the ball and kind of a, you know, when he's on the ball, he, he can kind of replicate the Russell Westbrook mold, but then he also can be a lot more effective off the ball. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's a really good point, and uh, it, it will be interesting to see. Last year was his first taste of the playoffs as a go-to guy with the Pacers against the Cavs and and he was he was kind of on and off you know he had some really great games and then some other games that were pretty poor it'll be interesting to see now that now that he's uh, kind of seen what defenses throw at him as a as a go-to guy what he can do uh, in his second go-around in the postseason but uh, moving on to 13 I had Jimmy Butler I originally had Butler at uh, at number 11 so he's gone down a little bit and as you mentioned the drama not only with Minnesota where he was actively sabotaging that team but uh, then with with Philadelphia now uh, you know it, it didn't seem like a perfect fit when they traded for him and that was a lot of the risk involved in in dealing a couple of guys in Sarich and Covington that uh, you know are on uh, pretty reasonable contracts for this foreseeable future uh, but uh, Philadelphia took the risk and, and tried to bring in another, you know, top 15 level player to add to Embiid and Simmons, and uh, it seems to be a little bit off to a rocky start. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's hard for me, hard to exactly how much to, like, you know, dock him for what's gone on with the Sixers, because I remember um, talking to you about my one concern with him. I had him at 12. At the beginning of the season, and my one concern with him was, you know, will he acquiesce to being a number two guy on a team? And I didn't think he was good enough to be like a, one, a number one on a contender, um, just because he doesn't have that off the dribble three to the same competency that we've seen other guys have that. So it would be a lot of adjustment for him to probably reach a team that could make the finals. Now, now that being said, this Sixers thing is is like a really tough fit. Like, <laughs> it's not like he's going to the Lakers and, like, playing alongside LeBron and, like, a bunch of shooters. Um, 
you already have Ben Simmons who needs the ball a lot. You have Embiid who wants the ball a lot. And it really is a tough adjustment for him. Like, he would probably, in order to make this work, have to embrace just being, like, primarily a 3 and D guy. And, you know, we've seen his shot improve a little bit from three over the course of the season, but I just don't know if he will ever embrace that. And that being said, I don't think he should embrace that because he can do a lot more than the Sixers would probably have him do in that role. So it just leaves me scratching my head knowing I should penalize him a little bit for not totally being a team player, but also understanding that the situation he was going into was a little ridiculous. Well, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, as we talked about the tiers, and and honestly, I feel like after those top seven guys, you're, you're at a level of players where they're not necessarily good enough that you can feel super confident that you should build around those guys. And, and that's been the unfortunate part about Jimmy Butler's career is he's never really been a guy that teams have felt like, okay, this is our man and we're going to put a team that fits around his talents. You know, even with when he was with Chicago, they brought in Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, which didn't make sense around him. You know, Minnesota traded for him with already an established roster. And, uh, you know, even the, the free agents they signed and Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson didn't make much sense with Butler. And uh, now with now with Philadelphia, you know, they already had Ben Simmons and Embiid, and those are two very talented players. But again, not guys that you would say, okay, if we're going to build a team around Jimmy Butler, who would be good fits? Yeah, and I think the fact that he is seen as that um, number two guy but has that number one attitude has been a reason why he's kind of been through so much turmoil uh, thus far in his career. Yeah, so now moving on to uh, to number 14. Originally I had Joel Embiid, which now I moved him up to number 9. For for this one, I the second biggest jump on my list, and this was the one that I was most disappointed in myself, was uh, I've got Damian Lillard. I originally had him at 23, which was way too low. I think I was too caught up in his poor postseason performance last year against the Pelicans to recognize that this guy was still a first-team All-NBA player, and, uh, you know, he uh, he's put up very similar numbers this year. In fact, his field goal percentage and three-point percentage is up this season. And again, he's he's the best player on a team currently that uh, I believe is fourth in the Western Conference at 26-18. and 18. Yeah, that playoff series was so weird because, um, you know, there is like the whole thing about how Harkless was out for a lot of it, and when he did play, he didn't really look like himself. So they had to play Evan Turner a lot, which kind of just allowed the Pelicans to ignore him and, you know, allow them to trap Damian Lillard on the pick and roll and have Turner's man tag the roll man and not really suffer for it. Um, but at the same time, watch I've watched back that playoffs because I was like writing about Nikola Mirotich, if you remember the last time we did this podcast. Yes. And, yes, and um, I watched back a lot of that series, and at the same time, it was just kind of a odd series in terms of shooting for Lillard because there were so many instances I was watching where it looked like he, it was like an easy off-the-dribble shot that he should make. And maybe it was just bad luck, but a lot of them just didn't go in. And I think that when faced in that series again, obviously you can't really reconcile uh, the, the Evan Turner stuff and the lack of spacing they had. But it was just kind of shocking how many shots just didn't go in from him. And it definitely colored your and my uh, view of him as a player because he, they, the Blazers just ended on such a sour 
But even then, I think you had Lillard more in the the middle of the teens range when we when we originally did this. So you weren't quite as down on him as I was. But I think uh, that just that just kind of goes to my bias, um, and I talked about this a lot last time. But when in doubt, I always just give the guy who I feel can be a primary creator on a good team the bump. Yeah, and that's that's a really good way to look at it, and and it it is always important to to keep remembering not only the it's hard because again we have this recency bias where the most recent thing we saw which for me was that portland Pelicans series where he really struggled but you got to remember okay well there was there was 82 games before this and what did he do for that that long stretch and he has been a very consistent and and fantastic regular season player for the blazers and and it's why they've become a consistent playoff team in the west in the very difficult and challenging western conference but uh, moving on now to uh, to my number 15, I originally had Draymond Green, and uh, now here's one of my biggest drop-offs from last year. I've got Chris Paul sitting in at the number 15 spot, and a big reason for that is uh, the, the offensive game for him has, has really dropped off a cliff this season. Uh, he uh, you know seems to really struggle even with semi-contested layups finishing around the rim. His three-point shot is down. And uh, his two-point percentage is down, and, and his true shooting percentage last year at 60.4%, this year all the way down to 54.4%. So he is a guy that, uh, you know, at this age, it's it's not that surprising that, uh, that, that maybe this is the new Chris Paul. Yeah, and this is a really hard one to rank because uh, you mentioned those stats, and he definitely has not been a top 15 player in the league this year. He hasn't had that level of production. Part of that is due to injury, but even when he's been on the court, you know, he hasn't quite looked the same. Um, but I understand not wanting to, like, dock him too hard considering what we've seen last year. And, you know, there is still a little bit of a hope that if he sits out enough time and gets right, that it'll kind of be an Andre Iguodala situation where, you know, he shows up in April through June and everything's uh, peachy, um, only to then look not that great the next regular season. <laughs> yeah. Right, um, you know he he is at that age where you know maybe it is it is more uh, intelligent, especially if your team can can make the playoffs without you playing at a super high level during the regular season to kind of conserve that energy and make sure you're right and playing at your best come May and June. But uh, but you're right, I, I have him at 15 in large part because of his track record as opposed to to how he's played this regular season. But uh, moving on to number 16, originally I had Rudy Gobert there, but uh, now I have Russell Westbrook, which is another guy that dropped off from number 10. I had him originally. Now he's down to 16. And similar to Chris Paul, the true shooting percentage has dropped significantly. Uh, Westbrook's shooting, true shooting percentage at 47.7. And uh, he is the worst three-point shooter in the history of the NBA on high volume this season, shooting 23.3% on nearly five attempts a game. Yeah, and it's still interesting to see how he's impacted the team because we all agree he's been really helpful in some really key wins and even in some close losses. I don't know if you watched there and played the Spurs. Um, he had a few nice passes, had an important offensive rebound, and he's still making all the plays that he's made in the past. The ball just, the ball's just not going in. Right. Yeah, that was that was a phenomenal game. That uh, double OT game, which the Spurs uh, just were able to uh, to outdo the the Thunder in that one. But yes, Westbrook made some really clutch passes in the closing moments, 
but you know he he's still doing all of those things. He's still averaging a triple double. Still doing a lot of the stuff as you said that he he's done in the past to impact winning. But yeah, the fact that he's at this high of a usage and at this low of an efficiency, he he really is uh, not quite as good and, and and probably isn't deserving of being a top 15 or even being called a top 15 player at this stage of the season. But, uh, you know, if, if he's ever able to, to turn that shot around and, and perhaps even just take less threes, that would be probably the easiest way to, to improve his game. Uh, he might go back up near that top 10 again. It kind of reminds me, and this is going to be a re- painting with a really broad strokes, but it was like, with him and Paul George, it kind of reminds me of like 2012 Wade and LeBron. We kind of saw, saw Wade's game um, decline a little bit. He got injured, and that was the only way in which he really gave the keys to LeBron to be the guy of the team. Now, I'm not saying Paul George has been anywhere near LeBron's level, but I think we're seeing a similar thing happening where because Westbrook is missing a lot of shots, Paul George has an opportunity to be the guy in Oklahoma City. And I think that we're going to see Russell Westbrook slowly adjust his game accordingly, at least a little bit, never fully, because it is Russell Westbrook at the end of the day. But hopefully we're not in a situation like during the Jazz playoff series where he was taking a lot of pull-up mid-range shots as opposed to you know moving the ball and playing more like he has this season. Well, and yeah, that's the... Uh, that's the challenge, though, when you, you talk about him kind of maybe taking a little bit even more of a step back than he already has. The challenge, though, given his lack of outside shooting, is you know if he just is willing to give the ball up to Paul George and, and see the more of the playmaking, you know he's off the ball, and that's going to be a challenge because his defender is going to clog the paint. Yeah, and then you also have like you know the idea that Paul George definitely benefits from being more off ball like it's not a guy who you're just gonna throw the ball to in the playoffs Westbrook still has to be involved in some sort of the equation not only because he doesn't pose much of an outside threat but because they do need his creation still yeah it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see and uh you know Paul George has had some phenomenal playoff series in the past so so perhaps he is capable of uh, of carrying the thunder come postseason but uh, moving on now to, to number 17 I originally had LaMarcus Aldridge and I am sticking with that this was this was interesting because if I remember correctly you did not have him in the top 30 when we last did this he was on my honorable mentions yes but for the first like month and a half of the season I I thought you were a genius because he was <laughs> uh, he was really awful not shooting the ball well, and the Spurs were, were really struggling. But since uh, since the start of December, he has been absolutely on fire, and he's uh, he's gotten his numbers to pretty similar uh, range, and, and as well as his efficiency is pretty similar to what he did last year. And of course, in that game we just mentioned, the double overtime game between the Spurs and Thunder, he put up 56. And uh, you know he has been absolutely a, uh, a top 15 player in the last month. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's a guy who definitely would slide up for me. Obviously, we're going off the big board that you made just to make things stuff a little bit simpler. But, yeah, he would be close to here for me. Um, there's still a few guys I might put ahead of him uh, just because, you know, I, again, playoff impact and just switching on to smaller guys. That being said, you can't argue against what he has done in the last month. He, it's really nice to see. You know, Aldridge is just a player who it's just nice to see when he does well just because he has a really nice um, post game. You don't see it that often. He's got that great fadeaway 
Um, he, he when Stephen Adams uh, got hurt in that OKC game, you know they were going to him every possession, and Jeremy Grant did block him once, but for the most part, he was able to score on Grant and Patterson. And you just like to see those guys who really seek out those mismatches in the post and take advantage of them. Well, yeah, and as you mentioned, since he is kind of a, a, a unique player in in the modern NBA, it's a very aesthetically pleasing thing to watch when he when he catches fire. But yeah, I, I had a, a, a Spurs-related question again because we're at the midway point and I figured we would talk about some random NBA topics as we did this as well. But how are the Spurs this good right now? You know, the, over the last 18 or so games, they have been the best offense and the best defense despite, uh, you know, I, I was re-listening to our, uh, our episode that we did and you asked me a question, and this was even prior to the DeJounte Murray uh, ACL injury, besides, you know, Murray and Aldridge, who was the best Spurs defender? And, uh, you know, my answer was Pau Gasol at the time, and it still probably is. And, you know, with Murray going out, he was easily their best defender heading into this season. How on earth are they defending people? So I think Rudy Gay actually has had a really nice defensive season. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, he's shooting threes. He's defending. He's kind of like found his NBA niche, I think, as the kind of you know versatile four. You know, I'm not saying he's like a great defender or anything, but he's definitely just being able to rotate in their system, provide a big body out there provide a pretty mobile body out there, so he's been a big part of that. And I think that a lot of guys, so they did start the season awfully on defense, but I think over the course of the last month when they've started to win more games, a lot of guys have just bought into the scheme a little bit more. One guy who I think has just been impressive and just rotated, just as a team defender is uh, Davis Bertans. I think he's had a marvelous season, obviously. He's lights out from three. But another part, I was watching them play the Clippers a couple months ago, and he is just a guy who commits to closeouts. He isn't going to worry about getting beat off the closeout, but when he has to recover to a shooter, he just goes, he sprints as much as he can. He really commits to disrupting that play. So just a couple, just a guy, a lot of guys who will compete on that end. Otherwise, they'll get benched. I don't think there's really much debate anymore that Greg Popovich is, in my mind, the greatest coach of all time. The fact that, and, and you know, when I asked you that question, how are the Spurs doing good on D? It's a lot of, you know, guys are committing to the, the scheme, guys are playing hard, you know, and a lot of that has to be given credit to Greg Popovich and the fact that he's doing this with, with this limited a personnel uh, is, is super impressive. Yeah, and, you know, Derek White has also come on for them. It's just been, you know, Really, it takes a village in this case, and you know, having that steady playmaking of Demar Rosen kind of stabilizes the offense. Him, him and the Aldridge have kind of been the two axes which the offense operates on. The offense has been pretty good, despite the shot selection being not, shall we say, uh, Maury esque. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, they're making they're making a lot of their long twos, and they can generate them pretty easily. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been pretty amazing to see this turnaround. Moving on 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 uh, on my list. Originally, I had uh, at number eighteen Carl Anthony Towns, and he is staying put in at that spot. And uh, you know, I think it's just the guys above him have have done a pretty good job uh, because I think Towns has actually improved a little bit this year, especially on the defensive end. It seems like, especially after the Jimmy Butler trade, he's been a lot more committed, active, and aware on that end of the floor. 
And I expect to see another bump in morale now that <laughs> Tibbs is out of there, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be mean about it. <laughs> but um, we're kind of seeing uh, Town's wings um, be unclipped a little bit this season. And I think that I was kind of had him at, I had him at 28 last year just because I still didn't know what to make of that season. Um, earlier that season when he just was really bad defensively yeah you know it was just like well what do we do here we can't not ignore it we can't we can't just ignore this but you know he's really upped his game in that area i think that whoever becomes the coach whether it is um ryan saunders or someone else i i think that they will put him in a scheme that's better for him obviously tibbs had the ice ice i can't really do a tibbs impression um defense <laughs> that involves a lot of trapping the ball handler, a lot of like closing out to shooters, a lot of off-ball IQ, and stuff that where you think of Towns was like in a more switch-heavy scheme. You know, he can stay in front of a lot of guards, so he would fare better from that position. But it goes back to he's kind of the center version of Victor Oladipo, where you can kind of, um, if he defends better, you can kind of put anybody next to him. And guys who just give you multiple paths to fielding a good roster are so valuable. Right, and you know he's been, uh, you know, one of the top two or three offensive centers in the league yet again this year. But uh, moving on to uh, to number nineteen, I originally had Al Horford. He's a guy that that dropped significantly for me. He's outside of my top thirty now. He seems to be a guy similar to Chris Paul that uh, that has um, you know lost a step with uh, with aging, but he's also been injured as well. He's had that uh, I believe knee tendonitis, which has caused him some issues. But uh, moving uh, to to my current not number nineteen, I I have Rudy Gobert there, and you know he's been really the only player on the Utah Jazz that's uh, that's been anywhere near consistent. Yeah, and just a quick thing about Horford, um, we're definitely seeing him sacrifice a lot of shots. We all it kind of seemed obvious. I might have pointed this out on the last podcast. Maybe I didn't, but like. When you have so many mouths to feed in Boston, he's going to be, he's such a team-centric guy that he was going to be the first one to sacrifice his usage, and, you know, that has led to less production. We'll see how he looks when, you know, it's time, much like Chris Paul, we'll see how he looks in April, May, and June, but right now you have to kind of consider that he hasn't been the same guy, at least so far. But Gobert, um, Jazz have had an interesting season. What do you make of this so far? So you know, if you look at uh, how their how their season has gone record wise, it it actually is very similar to what happened last year. You know, they got off to that uh, kind of rocky start, and they've gotten off to a rocky start this year. Uh, you know, we're under five hundred at the halfway point uh, last year and this year. Uh, but you know, the looking at this year's numbers, they've they've played far more road games than home games. They've played the toughest schedule in the NBA to this point. Uh, and and so far, you know, Donovan Mitchell has really uh, kind of struggled and, and has been really inconsistent. And if you remember, Mitchell as a rookie got off to a pretty slow start and then really picked up steam. So so I wouldn't be shocked if we see a similar surge from the Jazz this year that we saw last season. Yeah, I, I, obviously, you know, you couch that with the fact that Gobert missed a lot of time at the beginning of last season. That being said, there are still reasons to believe that they could improve. You talked about Mitchell. You talked about the schedule. Um, It kind of just seems like a team that maybe – it seems like the opposite of the Blazers, right? Because we kind of all underrated the Blazers, I think, after how they looked in the postseason.
postseason. And then Jazz, they, they win against OKC. You know, they, they have a couple competitive games against Houston. We're like, oh my God, this might be the third best team in the league. And so far, it doesn't look like they are. Sorry, third best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. They certainly have uh, have struggled shooting across the board you know uh, especially the three point ball has not gone down at nearly the the rate that they would they would hope and i think that's a big reason why they brought in Kyle Korver they desperately needed just a guy that the teams very much respected from uh, from beyond the arc but uh yeah it, it'll be interesting to see if they can have a second half surge like they did uh, like they did last season, and I think a lot of that is going to be predicated on Donovan Mitchell picking up his game, and and you know not only being more consistent game to game, but I'll I'll see a lot of box scores where Mitchell you know has two points in the entire first half, and then has twenty in the second half, and you know at times having those bursts of scoring over a short period can be really uh, you know helpful and impactful, but I think Utah because their offense struggles so much, they need more like what Michael Jordan did where you score eight every quarter sort of production from Mitchell. Right, that would be great. Um, but it's kind of telling that amidst all this, we haven't even yet touched on Rudy Gobert, who's been you know, a little bit of slippage just in the overall metrics. But when you watch him, he's kind of the same guy. <laughs> yeah, I heard this on a Dunked On podcast recently. Uh, they were They were talking about Gobert's numbers and one of the big differences from this year compared to last year is apparently the team opposing teams are shooting a, a much higher percentage on floaters than they did last season uh which uh which seems to be a little bit based on luck but uh perhaps that yeah that is as you mentioned a little bit of slippage as well he's not quite as uh um in in the proper position and intimidating those shots from the 10 to 15 foot range yeah, I think that you'll always have to concede those floaters with Gobert, um, but that is interesting. I did not hear that stat. So uh, moving on to, to number 20, I originally had Nikola Jokic, which as I mentioned, I moved him up to number 10, and uh, I have another guy that, that jumped a few spots, and that's Kyle Lowry. You know, he's dealt with he's dealt with some injuries here or there, which, uh, which has been concerning, but when he's been out on the floor for the most part, uh, he's been he's been pretty darn good. Uh, his his passing has improved significantly this year. He's been averaging double digit assists for most of the season, and you know just that combination of passing and outside shooting that he uh, that he has has really made Toronto a different team when he's been out on the floor. Yeah, it's easy to forget now just because he's kind of cooled off due to injury or just like mostly due to injury, honestly. But that stretch when Kawhi didn't play on that road trip is still. Kind of, I think about that a lot, and how he was able to, you know, kind of go against the depleted but still pretty good Warriors and beat them so convincingly. Yeah, he was absolutely on fire to start the year, and then cooled off. And you know, his his shooting as of late, I almost wonder if that's attributed to just not being fully healthy. And uh, I would, I would really consider if I'm Nick Nurse and, and Masai Ujiri of the Toronto Raptors that if he is not a hundred percent, that they've got a good enough team to survive. And even if they you know, fall down the standings a little bit, I think it's more important for the Raptors to get in healthy than it is to get in as the number one seed. Yeah, and they're not going to fall, even if they, like, had some seismic slippage, they're not going to fall farther than five, right? Because after after Indiana or Boston or whoever's at the five spot right now, it's like, um, it's, it's Miami, it's Charlotte, it's Detroit, and 
even without Lowry, the Raptors are way better than any of those teams. Um, so they, playing in the Eastern Conference, they really can take the long game here if they need to. Right, and the the only issue with getting into that four or five seed is you're going to be playing one of the other top five teams in the East in the first round. So that would make the first round more challenging. But but even falling to the three and playing the six seed, I don't think would be too big of a deal. Yeah, and I still think they'd fare pretty well against the four and five. I do think, um, you know, obviously I believe in the Celtics, so I think they're in that top three tier with Toronto and Milwaukee ultimately, but then in that four or five spot where the Sixers or Pacers might fall, maybe the Celtics will be the four seed just because they won't win enough games, but assuming the Celtics are not the four or five, um, the Raptors can handle whoever's there pretty easily, I think. Yeah, it'll be, uh, the, the East playoffs will actually be, I think, pretty interesting to watch this year, which is is, uh, is kind of new from, from previous years. Because, uh, uh, yeah, and I think it's because teams like the Raptors are, like, giving you hope. It's kind of like they're the new Rockets last year, in my opinion, where you're like, if, if one team beats the Warriors, this team maybe has, like, a 25% chance. Exactly, and you know the the four or five matchup last year in the East between the Cavs and Pacers ended up being awesome, but I don't think anyone expected it going in to be awesome. Whereas I think this year we're all expecting that four or five matchup to be pretty fascinating, a series to watch. Moving on to uh, to number twenty one, I originally had Clay Thompson in this spot, and I have him down further on my list due to his struggles. And uh, here in this spot, I have another Golden State Warrior, and that is Draymond Green. He dropped six spots. I originally had him number 15. Now he's down to 21. And in large part, that's due to his offensive game. He can't make a three, and, and he's really even struggling on, uh, you know, even semi-contested layups. Uh, but he's shooting 23.3% from downtown. And, you know, Green has always been kind of a, a mediocre offensive player and an excellent defender. And this year, he's he's still an excellent defensive player, but he's gotten to well below average on the offensive end. Yeah, I think this is the crack in the Warriors' um, offensive, uh, you know, superiority in whatever series they might play in the playoffs. It's just if he can't hit shots, and other people have went into this a lot more than I have. Um, Real GM with Danny Larue had uh, Ethan Strauss on to kind of talk about this conundrum if Green can't be at least respectable from three in some series and it's going to be something to monitor well and yeah and and again like the fact that the fact that he's struggling to even finish around the rim it doesn't seem like he has quite as much lift is also a concern because when you know teams say for instance trap KD or Steph out of the pick and roll and Green runs those four on three actions if if teams can feel confident that they can just let Green run to the hoop and then have a very late contest at the rim and, and he'll miss a lot of those shots, then uh, that will prevent teams from, uh, or prevent the Warriors from getting those open corner threes and those alley-oop dunks that they've gotten in the past and they've lived yeah. on in the past. I think that's a good point, and that's actually, I think, a much bigger concern with that than I said because now that I think about it, Green really has been a poor three-point shooter for some time now. So the biggest uh, new development, I think, is what you're saying, is just that lack of inside finishing ability, whether that's uh, just him. (laughs) Probably it's just lack of lift, you know, just from becoming a little bit older, but we'll see. Yeah, it'll, uh, as you mentioned, that is the the concern for the Warriors, despite the fact that, uh, that Curry and Durant have been as good as ever. Green and Thompson, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, are both definitely a concern. 
Uh, but moving on to uh, to number 22, I originally had Drew Holiday, and I believe you had Drew Holiday even higher on your original list. I've still got Holiday at 22. I think he's had a, a really solid season on both ends of the floor. The only issue I've noticed out of his stats and, and watching him is is the three ball isn't falling. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's shooting just 32.6% from downtown. Isn't he good, though? <laughs> yes, yes, he is very good. <laughs> yeah, I had him at 14, um, and I would still have him around that range. It's not been pretty. Um, I think that, you know, honestly, just like being able to have Rondo on that team just stabilized it, at least in transition, in a way that they don't really have now. So Drew can't get as many clean off-ball looks, and he has never been, you know, that guy who can create shots off the dribble from three. He's more of a create shots off the dribble from mid-range type of guy, which he's always been really, really good at. But just the defense, along with that decent creation and shooting ability when he has cleaner looks, is why I don't have him much lower than 14. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that version of him realized this season, um, just because Pelicans have not been that good. But he's, the defense is still there, and it's I, 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 he's just... He's one of my favorite players, like, subjectively. Yeah, I mean, I, I love watching him play as well. And I guess here's my question for you, though. You know, we, we both have Anthony Davis at number seven. We both think very highly of Drew Holiday. Of course, the Pelicans, as I mentioned, have had a bunch of injuries, whether that is to Alfred Payton or, uh, or Miritich, have both missed significant time. But, uh, you know, if... if Davis and Holiday are as good as we both think they are. Why aren't they able to help carry maybe a, a not-so-deep roster? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. But what I will say is um, you, you kind of the, hit the nail on the head there where it's like this has been a common theme over the last couple of years. Is that they've just struggled to field a good roster around those two. You know, you had Miritich punching a little bit above his weight in the playoffs that helped him. Um, you had Rondo playing well. The Blazers were unable to neutralize him. I thought that he would kind of be neutralized in the playoff scheme once teams force you to play half-court basketball. Blazers never did that to the Pelicans. And Darius Miller had a great season last year. I haven't kept too close of tabs on him. Etwan Moore has been okay to start the season. Also, I haven't kept tabs on him. But, you know, not having Rondo or Peyton means they've been playing a lot of Tim Frazier. Um, Solomon Hill, uh, you know, was a big part of their team two seasons ago just because he was able to hit an outside shot. And it's been a struggle just to, you know, have guys who can you can constantly rely on to win games over there. Yeah, it's it's never a good sign if Tim Frazier is your starting point guard in, in 2019. <laughs> but uh, but uh, moving on to, uh, to number 23, disappointingly, I, I decided that Damian Lillard should have been my 23, but uh, I have him moved up uh, significantly now. But my... My uh, updated number 23 is another guy that uh, that I did not even have on my list originally in my top 30. Uh, it's Blake Griffin. Yeah, I didn't have him either, and this has been a wonderful surprise. Um, he Obviously, the Pistons have struggled a bit of late, but when you think of the Pistons, he is the guy on that offense. He makes the engine run because Reggie Jackson is a few years removed from being that guy if he ever was in the first place, and... It's all on Blake every night. Otherwise, they put up ninety points and lose. Yeah, he uh, he's been 
he's been really, really good as as the lone uh, fulcrum of that offense. You know, shooting over 36% from three on 6.6 attempts per game. I never thought I would say that when I was describing Blake Griffin. Uh, you know, he's got a 59.4% true shooting on nearly 30% usage. And, and yeah, the, the Pistons, the rest of that roster just has done nothing, you know. They uh, they can't make a single shot outside of Griffin, and he's really carried that team, despite the fact that, as you said, they've struggled. But they just have very little else outside of uh, Griffin, who, in my mind, definitely deserves to be an all-star in the Eastern Conference. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. And in terms of other guys, you know, obviously Reggie Jackson has not shown to be that guy. I think that Ish Smith returning will help them a little bit, as crazy as that sounds, just because... He is one of the few guys on that team who can just create buckets for himself and his teammates. You know, he's not going to create high-efficiency shots for himself. We're talking more like pull-up 15-footers. But just his ability to run a pick-and-roll with the threat of that shot was a huge big was, was a huge uh, boost for their uh, bench earlier in the season. Um, Luke Kennard was, I thought, I kind of expected him to take on some of that secondary playmaking this year. It has not happened yet, partially due to his shoulder injury. Um, and... Right now, you can you can if if, I, if I'm saying that Ish Smith is gonna you know give them is gonna save them from a creation standpoint, it goes to show how important Blake has been. Yes, and you know I'd like to make the comparison between the Pistons and the Pelicans here because again, both teams have struggled and both teams have had injuries to the point guard position. And you know a lot of people have talked about well, if Alfred Payton missing games is the reason you're not going to make the playoffs, like how good of a team are you? Well, when when Tim Frazier is the replacement, you know that that matters quite a bit. And when it comes to the Pistons, you know, without Ish Smith out there, they've relied on Jose Calderon, who is beyond washed up at this stage. Uh, he there was I was watching uh, the the fourth quarter between the Pistons and the Kings the the other week, and he had a play where he was dribbling the ball up the floor, and De'Aaron Fox went to pressure him and. Calderon wanted nothing to do with that, so he just tried to throw the ball to a guy on the other side of the floor, and uh, Fox just absolutely picked off the pass and stole it from him. Just a really embarrassing moment, but it just goes to show you it's not just about the quality of the player that's injured, it's about the quality of the player that's replacing him. Yeah, and, you know, Alfred Payton, just to comment on that, um, I talked about Victor Oladipo, you're able to incubate all types of players next to him. Drew Holiday uh, is definitely an argument for that because Alfred Payton was really good this season because he was in a system that highlighted his strengths and because of Drew and because of Davis they were able to gloss over some of his weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I thought Payton was a was a really uh, really good pickup for them. I thought he could do you know if not a hundred percent of what Rondo did ninety to ninety five percent. And when he's been out there, they they've been pretty good, but he's just been hurt for most of the year. Uh, moving on now to number 24, I originally had Kyle Lowry, which I moved him up to number 20, and I have another guy that was not in my top 30 at the time, in large part because he looked a little bit over the hill last season, but that is Marc Gasol. He's been great, and the Grizzlies, I, I love watching them, just because they're one of the few teams that still plays that like um, stuff the pick-and-roll action, and it really throws teams off, so... Uh, one thing I noticed when I watched them play the Raptors a while ago is they just kept, you know, doubling down on stopping the roll man and uh, just made it hard for that point guard to find the open pass. Um, it really re- relies on the offense. 
defense to make like those advanced skip passes to kind of break that defense. And a lot of nights it throws teams off, and the reason they're able to do such like an uh, interesting scheme intellectually is because of Gasol. Yeah, and they've been a they've been a solid defense all year long with him on the floor, and uh, you know offensively. The, the Grizzlies don't have a ton of talent on that end, but uh, he has been, uh, you know, pretty good. He's, in over the last couple of years, has, has uh, you know, evolved with the modern game and is taking more threes and, and uh, is, you know, still has some, some post-up skills, but has really become a perimeter player that can, that, that is one of the best passing bigs in the league and one of the best three-point shooting bigs as well. Yeah, and when you look at, like, you know, obviously, you can't scroll through Twitter um, sometimes without seeing like a Jaron Jackson highlight here and there. And I was worried that Jaron wouldn't have enough opportunity to play inside because you had Gasol, who I thought, who I pegged as being a guy who like want, who commanded post ups. You know, that wouldn't be happy unless he got his post ups. Maybe that was just because he had some friction with Fisdale. Um, I don't know what it is, but anyway, he struck me as a guy who needed his touches in the post. You know, kind of like what we're seeing with Embiid right now. That hasn't been the case. And after after they signed Kyle Anderson, um, I, I was like, well, if Gasol has, needs to play inside and Anderson needs to play inside, there's not going to be much room for Jaron. But it's been Gasol who's been willing to, you know, step behind the arc a lot more than we've seen in the past and let Anderson play off of Jackson. Yeah, it's uh, it's been... Uh, it's been good to see Jackson, you know, get to stretch out his skill set, and and that's one of the I think the weaknesses of his game coming in was, you know, the post up game. He didn't show much of that in college, and his off the dribble game. But uh, I think on the downside is, you know, you one of the strengths I thought for Jackson, and we saw it in his first summer league game was the three point ball, and because he plays so much with Gasol and Gasol does as you say now play on the perimeter a lot we haven't seen Jackson as much spotted up which I think uh, is a useful useful skill set that he has that the Grizzlies haven't uh, taken advantage of enough yeah I mean you'll see it sometimes but I, I kind of with Gasol and Anderson out there I expected him to be like in the corner most possession so it's really uh, been kind of nice to see but I guess um, that has been the downside yeah so moving on now to uh, to number 25 I originally had uh, Bradley Beal at that spot, and now I uh, an, again the third straight guy that I did not have in my top thirty that I've moved into the top thirty at the number twenty five spot is Stephen Adams. This is a great pick. Um, their defense, he's the biggest reason, other than maybe George. Like it's so hard to parse credit, um, but you can argue that because their scheme relies on him just being a monster in the paint. If you look at their kind of opponent frequency at the rim it's actually they give up a lot of like shots not makes but just attempts near the rim and that's partially because um it's kind of russell westbrook and shooter on the perimeter you know they're not the best point of attack defenders they'll gamble a lot so a lot of the thunder defense is just about funneling the ball to the inside obviously jeremy grant has become a wonderful weak side protector which has helped them but again it's just up to Steven Adams to deter people from the rim. Yeah, and he he does he still does all of those little things that uh, that you love from your role players, but he's also become more of that. You know, you talk about a big three. I think he's become a part of the Thunder big three with Westbrook and George, and the fact that he's getting more post touches, he's scoring at a career high level, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, he's rebounding at a career-high level as well. You know, he's always been a monster on the offensive glass, but uh, he's also started to grab a little bit more of the defensive rebounds as well. And as you said, he's been, he's been uh, you know, maybe not as important as George, but uh, if not 1A, he's 1B in terms of the importance to the Thunder's defense. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe you can argue that George over the next, like over the average wing has more of an impact than Adams over the average center. Just because, like I said, um, centers often are inherently more helpful to regular season defensive schemes. But at this point, it's kind of splitting hairs, and they're both really good defenders. Yes, they are. And, uh, you know, he, Stephen Adams, has shown that he's been able to, for the most part, stay on the floor, even in that 2016 series against Golden State. Uh, did a, a did a reasonably good job in that series, despite uh, getting hit below the belt on multiple occasions. Uh, the uh, moving to uh, to my number twenty six, I originally had Gordon Hayward, and uh, he has not progressed uh, as quickly from uh, from his injury as I would have hoped, and and maybe I had a little bit uh, too lofty of an expectation for his recovery. Yeah, he has shown signs here or there. He's had a couple of really impressive games where he's looked like the old Gordon Hayward, but it's been a hit or miss for him, so he is no longer in my top 30 as of now. Uh, and at that 26 spot, I have Bradley Beal, who originally was 25, and I just moved him down one with uh, with Gasol, Griffin, and Adams moving into the top 30. And I think that's starting to look better and better as he acquiesces to being the main guy on that team with Wall out. Um, I just want to say that I was really silly for having John Wall at number 25, um, <laughs> I kind of had a lot of blind faith in him returning to form. I mean, I had him in my honorable mentions, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think one quick tangent about him, like, everyone's kind of talked about the, um, you know, the, the impact that injuries have had on him in the past, but I think that the game has changed a lot since John Wall's been at the height of his powers. Um, I think that his lack of an off-the-dribble three has really hurt him, just because... The way teams used to play more often was just uh, trying to trap the pick-and-roll ball handler or just, like, have drop coverage. Like, John Wall will roast drop coverage because if he gets an inch of space, then he can get the defender on their heels. He can get downhill. He'll create an opening, and he's a really good passer on the move, so he'll find that opening. Now, in a more switch-heavy, and not to say that, like, every team is switching in the regular season or anything, but, like, in a more aggressive trap... In a more aggressive drop, switching NBA, that lack of a jump shot uh, hurts him a little bit more just because he's not given quite as much space off that screen to attack. Right, yeah, it's, uh, the, the Wizards have certainly been, uh, <laughs> been, they've been really disappointing this season, and, you know, Beal is, has really been the only reliable player on the roster uh, but uh, but yeah, it's sad to see how far John Wall has dropped as well, due in large part to just a bunch of injuries that he has suffered. But certainly Wall on the contract that he is on, I I, I doubt that he will ever approach this uh, this top thirty list again, just because of age and and also you know he after after several knee injuries and and other uh, related issues, I, I just doubt that anybody can can come back and be at their top form again. Yeah, and that's and that's a good point. And that that's not to say that it hasn't mainly been the injuries. I just wanted to point out that little wrinkle as to why John Wall maybe hasn't been as good either. Because if you get a big man switched onto him, um, he doesn't have that you know rec- 
requisite explosiveness, and he's not going to shoot off the dribble, so the big man can kind of sag off him a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, speaking of John Wall, I did want to get your thoughts on this, that, uh, that I think the the contemporary John Wall now is, uh, is De'Aaron Fox. You know, I've seen a lot of prime John Wall in Fox's play in terms of the Kings being one of the best transition teams in the league. Fox has that speed and athleticism that Wall had at his peak, and uh, he's, he's uh, you know, not quite the passer that John Wall is yet, but uh, you're starting to see some of those signs. Yeah, I think that prime John Wall was a slightly better finisher than De'Aaron Fox. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I, sorry, I, I didn't want to say that Fox is there yet. I'm just starting oh yeah, to see signs. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, but I will point out that, like, um, even now, I know De'Aaron Fox has been a pretty good finisher. Um, he still is struggling to finish with his right hand through contact, um, and that's something maybe teams can scheme for. I actually saw that on a video from Thinking Basketball, which is kind of like Ben Taylor's YouTube channel. Um, he's awesome. But, yeah, he's definitely on the road to getting there. Definitely better in some respects when you consider the development of the outside shot and just his willingness to, you know, let Bogdan or, or Buddy, you know, play with the ball a little bit when we haven't really seen John Wall that, you know, open-minded to being off-ball at times. All right, and Fox has already shown probably a better three-point shot than maybe Wall ever did. So, um, oh, yeah, definitely. But, uh, but yeah, moving uh, moving on now to, uh, to number 27. I originally had Ben Simmons in this spot, but now I've got the, the rookie sensation, Luka Doncic. All right, you, you, are, you are drinking the Luka is a top 30, I don't want to say Kool-Aid because it's not totally unfounded, but so let's just say you're drinking the water. <laughs> that sounds good yeah you know he's uh um, he's putting up the counting stats for sure you know averaging about 20 points seven rebounds and five assists a game uh you know there's been there's been countless highlights he's one of the the most fun players to watch and and maybe i'm a little bit biased just because i enjoy watching him so much that that makes me think he's a little bit better than he actually is but uh you know, defensively, he certainly isn't anything great, but uh, he's been better in terms of his awareness uh, than, than I was anticipating. And uh, offensively, he's shown not only the ability to knock down the NBA three, but also to post up. And, you know, if you can do both of those things against most matchups, you're going to have something you can go to. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I, I Like, my, my instinct is to, like, push back against that because, like, oh, a rookie can't be a top 30 player. But, you know, I'm not doing that with anybody else here, so I don't see why I should with Luka. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he uh, how he evolves from here. You know, the, the big thing for me that was a little bit surprising and disappointing from last year's great rookie class with the likes of Simmons, Mitchell, and uh, Tatum is that none of them seem to have taken a, a big leap in year two, which is what you would expect from guys at that age. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see if Luka Doncic kind of stagnates as well in year two once NBA teams and, and personnel get used to his strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think that he, you know, you never want to put a, a cap on what Doncic can do. Um, just because going into the draft, I did like him a, like him a quite bit more than a lot of those guys, and saw that you know the sky was the limit with his creation ability. Um, again, like you're saying, uh, I I don't know what can change, you know, just because he's been kind of 
doing it against really good defenders at the highest level so far. Um, I'm sure teams can find some ways to neutralize the subtle skill that I haven't been t- paying attention to. It will be interesting to see if um, he can you know, hold his own against uh, good players on defense in the playoffs. Um, I have no reason to believe he'll be like that bad or anything, but you know, watching him play, you definitely think that he's not the most athletic guy. I just, yeah, I'm in wait and see mode. I almost have him like just unranked right now, not because he's bad, just because I just don't know what to do with this. Yeah, and you know, the the crazy part is, and you know, people were were talking about this heading into the draft, and I thought it was an interesting comparison was that essentially Luka Doncic was peak Hito Turkoglu basically in year one. And he's kind of shown that to be basically, for the most part, right. And it'd be interesting to, you know, to see, like, okay, so if peak Hito Turkoglu happened at, at age 19, what would he be then at age 26 or 27? It's the first time I've uh, heard the name Hito Turkoglu not in the context of the uh, Enos Cantor turkey stuff. Oh, but, right. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> But uh, moving on to uh, to number 28, I originally had Kevin Love there, and in large part due to injury, and then also I thought Ty Lue and the Cavs just did a poor job of building an offense around Kevin Love's talents for the start of this season. He's uh, he's no longer in the top 30, but uh, in in that spot now I have Clay Thompson. I originally had him at the start of the year at number 21. He's dropped down to 28 in large part because of his shooting. You know, he's really struggled. Not only, uh, you know, he's taking more of those inefficient long twos this season than he ever has, and is also his shooting from three is a little bit of a concern, shooting just 36% this season compared to his career where he's around 42%. Maybe it's just because he has such a laid-back personality, but I have just such a laid-back approach to Clay's struggles. Like, you can totally just see him just, like, turning it around immediately. Um, the, the shot profile stuff is a little concerning. Maybe that's because teams are more willing to close out on him because uh, they don't think he can put the ball on the floor. You know, like there was the old joke that someone said that Clay Thompson dribbles like a Republican, whatever that means. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's kind of just like an uptight dribble that uh, doesn't often go anywhere. But So maybe teams are just trying to close out harder on him and he's that's resulting in a few more pull-up twos. Um, you, you know, like I said, I kind of, where are you with him, like, you know, figuring it out? Because you talked about how him and Draymond were a concern. I think Draymond's the much bigger concern going into the postseason. I do, too. You know, I think the the fact that Clay Thompson has such a long track record of being an elite three-point shooter, you know, the, the fact that he is shooting a little bit worse this season, I think teams still treat him like he's the same player. I think, you know, the, the the gravity that he has is almost as important as his actual percentage shooting from three. And I don't think that's going to change. You know, guys that, that have a track record of five-plus years like he does of shooting that well, uh, you know, one season isn't going to make defenders think, oh, well, I can let this guy take an open three now. And it, it works the other way as well. You know, if you've got a track record of five-plus years of really not shooting well, and then all of a sudden one season you are shooting at like 40%. Teams aren't all of a sudden just because you've had one good season going to be like, okay, we need to treat this guy like he's, you know, the best shooter in the league. We'll call that the T.J. Warren effect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which that's been, that's been incredible to see that, uh, that he's been able to have this kind of a turnaround. Yeah, and it's kind of been 
clouded by just the overall Suns' poor performance. But I, I wonder if a, a, you know a team's going to take interest in him just because of his shooting and pretty complete offensive game. Still, you know, question marks defensively with him. Maybe that's because he's just not in the best scheme. But it's been cool to see. Him yeah, he, well. he'll be definitely an interesting candidate uh, for for a trade, as you mentioned, at the trade deadline, which uh, is basically a month away at this point. Yeah, I got so excited when I found out it was like February 9th or something. Um, that's less than a month from now, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and and that, is a, that is a fun time to keep refreshing the Twitter and uh, having your TV glued to NBA TV at all times. But uh, moving on to, uh, to number 29, we're about to wrap this up. We've got, uh, you know, originally I had Paul Millsap in that spot. I have him more in my honorable mentions now. And uh, in large part because of the question I posed uh, when when we were talking about Jokic is, you know, we both felt that Paul Millsap was, you know, a super crucial element to Denver's defensive success. And maybe that'll still be the case come postseason. But uh, certainly in the regular season, they have shown that they can be a successful defensive unit without him out there, which uh, to me means that uh, he doesn't have quite as much value as I once thought. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting thing. It kind of reminds me of, like, the Thunder and Andre Roberson, where they're still, like, the best defense even without him. And it's like, well, what did he do for them? Uh, not, that's not to say either Millsap or Roberson aren't valuable, but it does make you go, hmm. And when you combine that with the kind of weird fit that he's always been with Jokic on offense, still a very productive offensive player, but, you know, the optimal Nuggets lineup is one that just gives Jokic as much three-point shooting as possible. Um, there, you know, I don't know. Uh, his uh, his former the former guy at that power forward position, Danilo Gallinari, has had a fantastic season, um, and definitely is on the honorable mentions, if not in the top thirty. Yes, he was he was one of the toughest omissions. It's it's fun to finally see him healthy and producing like we know he's capable of, but uh, he just has never been able to seem to stay on the floor. But this year he has, and uh, I, I'm crossing my fingers that, that it stays that way because the Clippers have been have been pretty fun to watch. But Millsap was my original 29, and the person I have there now, who I had at 27, uh, was uh, was Ben Simmons. Okay. His field goal percentage is up this year. His rebounding is up. His assists are about the same. Uh, you know, he hasn't taken any major leaps. Uh, like I mentioned with a lot of those guys that had impressive rookie years, but he's one of those guys that I don't feel like has taken a step back at the very least. Yeah, I feel like he kind of take, took a step back when kind of figuring out his role in the uh, you know early Jimmy Butler era, but we've kind of seen him, seen him turn around a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think he's somewhere, what, what he was earlier in the season and what he is now, like the 29 is somewhere in between that. Yeah. He's, uh, he's still got the obvious limitations with the jump shot, and, and that has caused, I think, more than anything amongst those three players, the fact that Simmons can't shoot is the biggest reason why that's not a great fit. But, uh, but you know, again, he's another guy like Jimmy Butler that, you know, I think in a couple of years he'll be in that category of being between between the top 10 or 20 best players in the league. But uh, it's a question of, okay, is he good enough that it's, that uh, he deserves a team built around him, or is he one of those guys where that just never happens? Yeah, you know, if the jumper doesn't develop, that's, I think, exactly where he will be. Obviously, he could be, like, a top-five player if he all of a sudden can shoot, like, 30, 36% from three on decent volume. But um, I don't know why we're, you know... <laughs> like, I, 
this has been well documented. Like what Simmons could, he'll be good if he doesn't have a jumper, and great if he does. Like I'm not really breaking news here. Right. Uh, so the final one I have uh, from uh, from the original thirty, I had Chris Middleton, and he is still my number thirty. Uh, you yeah, know, he's, Chris Middleton. <laughs> yes, uh, we he, we both had him at number thirty, I believe. Yes, and I thought he was overachieved in this in the beginning of the season, and then it's kind of been the opposite of Ben Simmons, where Chris Middleton started out great. He was like one of the best shooters in the league, the clear number two guy on the Bucks. I think he still is, but it's not quite as obvious. Some nights, uh, you know, it might just be like Eric Bledsoe being the secondary guy to Giannis. Some nights it just might be Brooke Lopez dropping 20 points. Um, but Middleton, you know, is still reliable, even though he is currently on his shooting slump right now. And, you know, he's been an improved defender in Mike Budenholzer's scheme, and I don't think he got enough flack for just being a pretty bad defender in the last year with Jason Kidd there. So it's been nice to see him just improve everything a little bit over last season. I think... A lot, both of us might have been a little high on that seven-game performance against the Celtics where he shot like 60% and like 50% from three. <laughs> right. But all in all, I think we ended up in a good place. Yeah, and you know, he's a, he's another guy, like we mentioned, with with other players that, uh, like with an Oladipo, where he, he is versatile enough that uh, if you need him to, if Giannis needs a little bit of a rest, even when Giannis is on the floor, you can give it to Middleton and, and let him create some. But then he's also excellent off the ball as well, and, and he's been given even more freedom to take the three-point shot with Bud this year. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, just like when, when, when I, whenever you think whatever roster construction the Bucks go with, I think it's important that they bring Middleton back um, just because... He like 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 you said, just like him, Oladipo, Paul George. You just don't have to think about how this guy will work on a team, and that in itself might be his most valuable trait. Well, and I think he's a very interesting free agent uh, candidate, not only for the Bucks to retain, but for some other teams. You know, you look at a team like Utah. I think they would be an interesting team that maybe if they were willing to overpay Middleton a little bit, you know, because Utah isn't one of those candidates. Uh, in their market to acquire one of those top, top-level free agents. But if you overpay for a Middleton, maybe you're able to get a guy like him, and, and I think he could be a big boost to a team like that. Yeah, and especially since lately Mitchell has been playing better when given a higher usage role. So it kind of brings into question Mitchell's ability to play off-ball a lot with like a traditional point guard. So maybe if you play Mitchell at the one and Middleton at the two, um, I know that's kind of a big two. Maybe Middleton at the three, and then like Exum as the quote unquote one, but really the two offensively. Um, it definitely works for at least Mitchell and Middleton that way. Yeah, you know, even the Lakers are another instance in, in the event that the Lakers, you know, whiff on the likes of Kawhi Leonard and a Clay Thompson and a Kevin Durant. Middleton would not be a a horrible option as a as a plan B or C. Yeah, and I just want to make an amend to the Utah thing. Joe Ingles will definitely be playing a three, so the, the lineup would be uh, middle, uh, Mitchell, Middleton, Ingles, Gobert, and then we'll see what happens with Favors. But yeah, L.A. would also be a really nice choice. I don't know if he is quite good enough for them to be like a guy who they want to pair LeBron with long-term. You know, they, they, were, they were looking at Paul George. Um, I think they'll look at Kemba Walker just because LeBron really likes those guys who can take a big creation burden off him, especially in the regular season. Um, after what he had to go through in Cleveland. Um, 
but Middleton, I think, is going to be a hot commodity for a lot of teams. But I think he'll ultimately stay with the Bucks. I think they have something really special going on there, and they can give him the most money. But it'll be interesting to see. Well, yeah, and Milwaukee made that trade, uh, you know, dumping the likes of Della Vadova and Henson to free up some cap space. And, and I'm sure Middleton's one of their, if not their, number one priority this offseason. But uh, looking at uh, the honorable mentions, you know, Serge Ibaka having a ridiculous year shooting from the mid-range. He's been a a top three player on uh, the Raptors who are having a great year. Uh, We mentioned Millsap. I still think he's uh, right around the top 30 range. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Mike Conley, Al Horford, and uh, and you just mentioned Kemba Walker. All guys that, uh, that I was considering. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the way Kemba started out, you could definitely, he's easily in the top 30. Obviously, he's cooled off a little bit. I'm trying to think of like a controversial top 30. Um, <laughs> maybe Gary Harris was in the conversation the way, way he started off. Uh, I, I think that he played really well to start the beginning of the season. Um, how far away is Joe Harris from the top 30? Because he is a guy who's been one of the best shooters in the league, good team defender, and able to like attack closeouts off the dribble. I know Karras got all the hype for their big start, but I think Joe Harris has been the best player on the net so far. Maybe, maybe that's a take. Interesting. I mean, I, I think uh, I think Dinwiddie has has been the guy for me oh, for I the Nets. About but Dinwiddie crap. No, never mind. Joe Harris has been the okay. Joe Harris has been the second and maybe third behind Jarrett Allen. <laughs> but uh, I mean, no. But but Joe Harris has had an outstanding season. I mean, okay, he's, yeah. he's I, I, picked the, I picked the wrong guy. It's definitely like Dinwiddie is the one who has the case to be like close to this. Yeah, the um, you know Harris's shooting stats are just absurd. You know, shooting over fifty percent from the field and and about forty eight percent from three. And as you mentioned, yes, it's not just his ability to to catch and shoot, but uh, his ability to attack attack closeouts and finish at the rim. They run a neat play where. Uh, you know, he'll be on one side of the floor and he gets a screen at the top of the key as he's running straight across from the right to left side. And if the defender goes over that screen to, to deny that pass for a wing three, he just keeps running to the basket and they throw a lob over the top uh, for him to get a layup. And they've gotten a lot of success out of that. That's interesting. I'll have to look for that one. But yeah, an interesting... Um choice for like my outside of the box top 30 candidate probably not even close to that but i just wanted to say i like joe harris yeah you know he's he's certainly uh, he's certainly what a lot of teams want out of a, a you know a role player a guy that as you said plays good team defense i just think he doesn't have quite enough uh, playmaking chops and or the individual defense to to be uh, in this uh, in this yeah. range but but yes he he has been quite a surprise and a guy that I, I was surprised was even still in the league after seeing him in his early days in Cleveland. Well, we all know that Cleveland doesn't develop role players. Sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> well, uh, Scott, you know, uh, we're at the uh, we're at basically the the midpoint of the NBA season. Was there any was there any big takeaways that you've seen thus far, or anything that you're uh, really interested in keeping an eye on as we uh, as we watch the second half? Um, I think we pretty much covered anything. You know, we talked about Luca. We talked about Darren Fox. We talked about all the uh, picks that I was way off base with. We talked about Joe Harris and the Spurs having an okay defense despite not having okay defenders. Um, 
obviously a couple other surprises. I've liked what Miami has done, even without Dragic lately, um, where they've kind of just let Justice Winslow do a lot more playmaking. I think Josh Richardson is a guy who sneakily could be close to this top 30 list. Um, gosh, Pacers, you know, DeMontis Sabonis, I think, is the sixth man of the year candidate, other than maybe Dinwiddie, who should is most deserving. Um, yeah, we, co- we covered the Clippers. It's been a fun season. Yes, it has, and uh, I guess I'll uh, I'll finish with this question: Are uh, are you taking the Warriors or uh, the field to win the NBA championship this year with uh, with all the drama and uh, some of the struggles that the Warriors have had? It's Warriors, but it's like it's like sixty forty. Whereas in the past, it might have been like closer to seventy thirty or even eighty twenty. Yep, I'm I'm basically on the same page as you. Well, Scott, thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun uh, going back and, and revisiting uh, some of the the stuff we talked about earlier in the season. And and of course, uh, I'm going to try to have you back on here in the foreseeable future to to talk Boston Celtics. I thought I should give us a little bit more time because they have been very confusing so far. Yeah, I haven't even checked the score of tonight's game, but I'm afraid to look. Uh, it was kind of close against the Nets, and um, Kyrie's you know out for a little bit so that never is good yeah but uh, that'll be that'll be fun to uh, to discuss whenever we get around to doing that but scott you've been very generous with your time i appreciate it and uh, thanks so much for coming on absolutely garrett anytime thanks for listening to this episode of duncan dynasty if you'd like to support the show you can follow me and the program on spreaker.com that's s-p-r-e-a-k-e-r You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bugay, B-U-G-A-Y, at O-N-U dot E-D-U. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if you're you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material, uh, A lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or... Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.